everyone. Thank you for joining me for episode 46 of the Mark Guy Show. So I had recorded some of a show uh, in the middle of last week, and I went back through it, was listening to it, editing it, and just really didn't like how it turned out, so I ended up not releasing it. I also didn't have a full show's worth of material. I had I had done probably about two-thirds of one, and I was going to come back and do another. So I ended up just not releasing it, and then I was waiting until today to do this one. This has been one I've been thinking about doing for about a week. It doesn't have anything to do with Trump, which I think is a positive. I've been trying to find things that don't have to do with Trump, just because that's what everybody's talking about. And frankly, I'm kind of tired of talking about it, tired of listening to just constant anti-Trump and pro-Trump, and it's just... Not really fun for me. Sometimes it's so relevant that you have to talk about it. There are certain things that are that are momentous. I could be talking about this, the Susan Rice thing today, but to be quite honest, I haven't followed the story close enough, I think, to be able to bring any sort of unique perspective to that issue. So what I want to talk about today is the automobile bubble. And I've been reading a lot of articles about this over the past few months. I think I've mentioned it in passing here and there on this show. I don't think I've done an entire segment about it, if I remember correctly. But I've read some good articles on it recently, and I have a personal anecdote that I think just underscores how big this bubble is and really how desperate dealers are to unload these vehicles and the, and the inventories that are rising. And I think probably most of us have a similar story looking at all the, all the deals that dealers are throwing out there to try to get people into the door to buy cars, the the jacked up trade-in values maybe, or 0% APRs or extended repayment terms to bring down that monthly payment. Whatever it is, dealers are doing a lot to try to get people into the door and, and, and to try to keep prices at their current elevated point. But at some point, you're going to run out of buyers. And with the U.S. economy continuing, or really the U.S., the average U.S. citizen continuing to rack up more and more debt, becoming more and more indebted. There aren't enough buyers out there, and what so many people are doing, you'll see in the stats that I'm sh- that I'm going to throw out here soon. But what a lot of people are doing is they get they get underwater on their loans. Maybe they have a vehicle for a couple years, they end up trading it in, and so they're trading in an underwater vehicle, meaning that they owe more on it than what it's actually worth, and then they roll it into a new loan. And then now they're underwater again. They're getting another new vehicle. And this is what people say when you drive the car off the lot. It loses a certain percentage of its value. kind of depends on a car-by-car basis. But in virtually every case, you're immediately underwater on your loan when you get that new vehicle. And so they're putting themselves even further underwater. And people are repeating this over and over again as dealers are, are throwing out these deals to try to get people into the door with, with low payments and everything. So... There are only so many buyers out there. People can only do that for so long. You can only leverage yourself out so far on vehicles, especially when, when people are continuing to owe more on student loans. Each successive class of college graduates owes more and more in, in student loans. Lots of people are not repaying them, or if they're making their payments, they're not reducing the principal whatsoever. Housing prices in a lot of locales are continuing to increase. So it's not like things are easing on all other areas of, of people's lives. Healthcare costs are continuing to go up and it, it doesn't look like Obamacare is going anywhere anytime soon. It doesn't look like a repeal is coming. So I don't think we're going to see that ease either. So people are getting, are getting hit from all sides 
and this is just one of many, but I think it's something that impacts just about all of us. Most of us have vehicles. Some people are lucky enough to be able to live in a city area where they don't need to own a car. I'm pretty jealous of that. It's kind of the one thing that would have drawn me to live in a bigger city, but I do like living in a, in a smaller city because of all the other advantages that it offers. So I do have to own a vehicle. We owe two vehicles and they are a hassle, but this impacts just about all of us. Most of us have vehicles. The, the United States is a very car friendly society and what's going on in the automobile industry is going to affect really all of us that are in the market for a new car or a used car or looking to sell our used car. And that's virtually all of us at certain point points in our lives. Maybe you've recently bought a vehicle and you won't be in the car market for another five years, but most households have more than one vehicle. So chances are you're going to be buying or selling a vehicle at some point here in the next year or two. So here's some of the stats I'm going to throw out here. This is from a recent article. It was reposted on Zero Hedge. It's originally from the Economic Collapse blog. So obviously there's a bias there, but I think it's a good quick list for people that don't want to get caught down in statistics and in in graphs, which are a lot of great articles out there on the automobile bubble that contain all those things. But this just contains a quick hit list of evidence for why it looks like this bubble is peaking. So the first one was seven out of the eight largest automakers in the United States fell short of their sales projections in March. So it shows that basically projections were more optimistic than than reality. Second, overall U.S. auto sales so far in 2017 have been described as a disaster despite record spending on consumer incentives by automakers. So that goes back to the point I was making before. Sales haven't been there despite all those incentives that dealers are offering to try to get people into the door. Third point, dealer inventories are now at the highest level that we have seen since the last financial crisis. Why this is so troubling is because there are a whole lot of unsold vehicles just sitting there doing nothing, and this is becoming a major financial problem for many dealers. So that ties into point number two to the last thing that I said. That's why they're offering a lot of these incentives, because their inventories are going up. They have a lot of cars sitting on the lot, and these cars cost money. Holding inventory costs money, and so dealers are trying to unload this inventory. Fourth point, it now takes an average of 74 days before a dealer is able to sell a new vehicle. This number is also the highest it has been since the last financial crisis. So this ties into to inventories. Even if they're buying the same amount of cars that they were previously, it's taking them longer to sell those cars. So they're on the lot longer and the inventories as a result are higher. Fifth point, not only is Ford projecting that sales will fall this year, They're also projecting that sales will fall in 2018 as well. So Ford, one of the the big automakers, is projecting not just a temporary decline in demand, but it looks like a pretty extended decline in demand. Point six, used vehicle prices are already starting to decline dramatically. The used vehicle price index from the National Automobile Dealers Association posted a 3.8% decline in February compared to the prior month. NADA also said wholesale prices fell 1.6%. So decline, about a 4% decline in prices is pretty substantial. On a, on a $10,000 car, that means you're you're looking at more like 9600 So if, if that continues, if we continue to see declines like that, you could be looking at 10, 20% declines in value, which is substantial in any market, especially one where where consumers are as leveraged as they are right now. 
0.7, as I discussed yesterday, Morgan, Morgan Stanley is projecting that used car prices could crash by up to 50% over the next four or five years. So I just said 10 or 20%, but imagine if used car prices fall by that much and think about all the debt that people are holding on those vehicles. Many of them are underwater already, but if used car prices crash, imagine where that's going to leave people. Imagine all the defaults that people are going to have when they owe $10,000 on a car that's only worth $5,000, just, just as an example. And especially younger people who don't have a huge credit history and don't necessarily mind taking the hit to their credit score, they may walk away from that car and, and from that loan and take the default because it's not worth paying off anymore when they're that far underwater. Point number eight, right now more than a million Americans are behind on their payments on their auto loans. This is something that has not happened since the last financial crisis. So you're seeing more and more past due loans here and defaults become more and more likely the more people that are that are past due on their loans. Point nine, in 2017, U.S. consumers are more underwater on their auto loans than they've ever been before. That's, a, one, that's probably the overarching point is how underwater people are. And it shows how elevated the new car prices are. And as a gap has been widening between those new car prices due to incentives and used car prices, which are declining, I think new car prices are still kind of peaking right now. So it means that there's that much more depreciation to take between when you buy that car new and as it becomes used, that depreciation falls off even more. It puts people more underwater than they were in the past when that gap between new and used prices was less. Point 10, subprime auto loan losses have soared to their highest level since the last financial crisis and the delinquency rate on those loans has risen to the highest level that we have seen since the last financial crisis. By now, I'm sure that you were starting to notice a pattern in these data points. So yeah, that's the pattern. So many of these numbers worse since the last financial crisis, which which should scare all of us. Point 11, at this moment, approximately $200 billion has been loaned out by auto lenders to consumers with subprime credit. And that's just a huge number, though we're pretty used to seeing billions and trillions thrown around now. That doesn't really mean that much, not in context, but I think... Just throwing out that big number shows that's a, that's a whole lot of money. Point 12, just like with subprime mortgages in the run-up to the last financial crisis, subprime auto loans have been bundled together and sold as securities to investors. And just like last time around, this has turned out to be a recipe for disaster. Many auto loans, including those considered subprime, are securitized and sold to investors. But Morgan Stanley recently reported that the share of auto securities tied to deep subprime loans those given to borrowers with a FICO credit score below 550 has risen from 5.1% in 2010 to 32.5% today. It said defaults on those bonds have risen significantly in the past five years. Almost a quarter of the more than $1.1 trillion, uh, trillion in U.S. auto loan debt is owned by subprime borrowers, and delinquency rates have hit their highest point in seven years. So that's very substantial. Credit scores below 550, very low credit scores. At one point, we're five percent. The loans bundled up in these securities, these asset-backed securities, and now they are thirty-two percent, thirty-two and a half percent. So a, a six-fold increase in that level, and these are very poor borrowers. Obviously, the delinquency rates are high. That's why they're saying now they're the, the highest they've been since the last financial crisis, since just coming out of the just coming out of the crisis. So all this is really concerning. These 12 points, I thought it was really nice. I'm going to post this. Like I, I was able to read it very quickly. So 
I think you can read it quickly. There are some good links in there to go to where that source data is coming from. But it underscores the fact that this is an unhealthy industry. And if you go back to what happened coming out of the last financial crisis, and you, you heard all the numbers tying back to the last financial crisis when the automobile industry really struggled, really struggled with people starting to you know, pare down their debt, starting to pay off their debt, save a bit more because oftentimes they didn't have the same equity in their houses anymore. They didn't, they had indebted themselves so much leading up to the financial crisis. They needed to restructure their finances after the fact. And the automobile industry really struggled after that. But what happened, the government stepped in and had huge bailouts for the auto industry and tried to keep this debt industry alive. And then you pair that with the Federal Reserve having interest rates at zero for seven years, seven, eight years, and now they're not much above zero. But you've enabled now these dealers to, to be selling the cars that are produced by these, by these automobile manufacturers that were rescued by the largesse of the federal government and to prop up prices like they are right now. And this is a bubble that has to burst. This has been one of the industries in which the federal government has intruded the most. And I think where federal reserve policy has had the most perverse effects. And I tried to go out and find some articles where people were trying to defend the auto industry, saying things are not as bad as people think they are. And I found a, an article on Forbes that had an interesting take. The title of it, I also have this posted on the website, but why the auto financing bubble is really an affordability issue. And this was from, I believe, back in December of 2016. And he says that he thinks the main issue is affordability, that it's not really a bubble. It's that people have been priced out of being able to afford these vehicles. So I'm just going to read from that quickly. Perhaps a greater threat to the auto industry is the fact that new cars are being priced out of the reach of so many consumers. With the median U.S. household income standing at $57,616, it's tough for the average Joe or Jane to buy a new vehicle that sells for an average of around $31,000 without some financial sleight of hand. As a result, consumers with both high and low credit ratings are borrowing more money to purchase what are increasingly expensive rides. According to Experian, the average new vehicle loan amount jumped from $28,936 to $30,022 over the past year, with consumers extending their financing terms to unprecedented lengths. The average loan period stands at a record 68 months, with many buyers taking out loans for as long as 84 months, which means a vehicle purchased this week wouldn't be paid off until December 2024. That's leaving an increasing number of borrowers underwater, meaning they owe more money on their vehicles than what they're worth. According to Edmunds.com, an estimated 32% of all trade-ins toward the purchase of a new car through the first nine months of 2016 were underwater. So I don't think that's an affordability issue. It, it is an affordability issue, but that's not the root cause. You know, they have to look at it deeper than this. You can't look at just what those numbers say. Why have prices gone up? Prices don't just go up for no reason. It's either because supply is being restricted in some way or they're or or uh, purchasing it is being subsidized in some way and really it is being subsidized by federal reserve policy so by interest rates being so low for so long and dealers responding to this by extending the loans that they're giving out and so many people are out there are, are out there desperate for yield banks are desperate for yield these 
these auto dealers are desperate for yield. That's really where they're making their money right now, not in actually selling the vehicles. And when that happens, prices go up. It's the same thing that, that happened in the housing industry leading up to the last financial crisis. Low rates and people chasing yield, it it made speculation attractive. I'm not saying speculation is what's happening here in the automobile industry, but banks made loans that they otherwise wouldn't have made because they were chasing yield. And now auto dealers are auto dealers are making loans that they wouldn't otherwise make because they're chasing yield in much the same way. And they're going after riskier and riskier borrowers are going after the subprime market. And it's set up to burst just like the housing market was. Now, obviously the, the two markets are different. Like I said, a, a lot of what caused the bursting of the housing bubble was speculation and people getting caught having all these houses they were trying to flip and trying to balance these monthly payments and they had just been making interest-only payments and they would either refinance when time came to actually make principal payments or they would sell and be able to make a profit and have equity in it even though they hadn't paid any principal down because the uh, the values of the houses that they bought were continuing to go up. That doesn't happen in the auto industry. It's a depreciating asset. So there's not that same kind of speculation there. So there are differences between the two things. But I think the incentives, that low interest rates and a stagnant yield environment create result in these kind of bubbles. And the bursting may look different. Uh, the, the people that get caught out in the cold may be different groups of people. But I think the same thing is happening here. We're not learning from the mistakes that we made in the last financial crisis. We're not learning about the mistakes that artificially low rates lead to. And this is just an unprecedented experiment in an entire economy. And, and people wonder why you can't find safe investments that, that yield you anything anymore. It's because of this Federal Reserve policy. And you can tie so much of what happens back to them. And when I read articles like this, where they're saying, well, no, the, the root cause is that affordability isn't an issue. Well, automobile dealers can't just raise prices in a vacuum. You can't just raise prices. The same thing that I've said about, about higher education. Colleges can't just raise prices. People don't have unlimited money to spend on higher education. They can only raise prices if people are able to pay for it. And if the government is, is providing all this basically free student loan money, this easy student loan money to people, then colleges can raise their prices because now kids can pay those prices. The same thing is happening here with automobiles. Car manufacturers and dealers aren't just raising their prices out of the blue because people are price sensitive, but they're not as price sensitive when there's all this easy credit out there and they can extend it out to as much as 84 months and you're seeing 72 months now a lot more than than what the than the stereotypical 60 months was. I think 84 is a little extreme. But you're seeing all this happen because of interest rate policy. And some people are connecting those dots. A lot of people are connecting those dots. But a lot of the, the articles like what I'm seeing on Forbes here, and I saw a couple of other articles that had the same point, but this had basically... I think the best uh, the best quote that I could read fairly quickly and be able to to rebut because frankly I just think it's ridiculous. I think it's completely ridiculous. You could look at the situation and think that affordability is the root cause. Yep, affordability is the issue. Well, what's causing that issue? Affordability being an issue, it doesn't just just rise up out of nowhere. 
There is a cause. Something is happening to cause that. So I hate these types of articles where they're just looking at a, a really superficial number and trying to attribute everything to that cause when really there are there are root causes below that that are causing that affordability issue. And the anecdote that I wanted to say about this was my sister recently bought a car. I'm assuming it all went through nicely, but I was listening to all the basically all the incentives that were there as as uh, as part of this purchase. So basically they were going to give her more money on a trade-in than she probably would have been able to sell the car on the open market. They gave her a 0% APR with my parents co-signing, of course. I don't think I don't think she had the credit to be able to do that herself, but she also lives several hours away from my hometown and the the dealers in my hometown and they drove out to her to get her to sign the papers and drove the vehicle out to her there. But they're willing to jump through all these hoops for one purchase of, it wasn't even a, a brand new car like this year's model, it was last year's model. So that so, that they were willing to jump through these kind of hoops to to get this sale done. Does that sound like an industry where people are knocking down their doors to try to take inventory off their hands? Or does that sound like activity from an industry that's just trying to keep their heads above water, that's just trying to get their inventory off their lots. I think it sounds a lot like the latter. It fits in perfectly with all the data that I've seen on this. And I'm sure a lot of people out there have similar stories. And I see the signs all the time too about about what dealers are trying to offer in terms of incentives for people to come in the door. You see the commercials all the time too. So this is out there and it's something that affects our lives. This isn't something that's that's operating somewhere far away. I think it's going to be far more widespread than than what actually happened in in the housing market. Certain locales saw huge run-ups and then huge declines in housing prices leading up to and following the financial crisis. And the financial crisis as a whole hit the whole country, really the whole world. So I'm talking just about the, the housing boom and bust here. But in terms of housing prices running up and then declining drastically, that hit certain areas very hard and really didn't hit other areas really at all. You look at areas like New York City, Florida, Arizona, coastal California. Uh, those areas got hit really hard. They had, they had huge run-ups leading up to 2006, 2007, and then they crashed. They crashed to to below the, the pre, uh, pre-run-up levels in a lot of cases. But other areas, Houston and Dallas are notable. Where I grew up in western New York, I think, would also fit into this category. But there wasn't really much of a change in the housing market. There, there were modest increases and there were modest declines, possibly, or, or stagnation. But some areas still saw housing prices continue to go up after the financial crisis. So the housing market alone, that really only hit certain areas very hard. The automobile industry, though, that's not going to be located in only certain areas. I think it's going to be a nationwide thing. So this is something that affects anybody that's listening to this in the United States, really regardless of where you are. If you drive a vehicle or are going to be acquiring a vehicle or selling a vehicle, this will affect you. That's why it's something that interests me. It doesn't interest me quite as much as I think the the higher education bubble and the, the student loan crisis, but I think this is something to monitor and uh I, I just think it's it's extremely interesting. 
So I think I'm going to cut it off there for today. I had another set of things lined up, but I may do that in, in a separate episode over the next couple of days. But I just recently finished reading Democracy in America by Alexis de Tocqueville, a Frenchman that visited the United States in the 1830s. And I thought it was really good. I, I'd heard it referenced a lot kind of all over the, the political map in a lot of different contexts. And I'd never read it before. I'd read excerpts before. But I thought there were a lot of really interesting predictions in there. Most of them came true. Some didn't. But I think some of those ones that came true, there's a lot to talk about there. I think there's, there's probably an entire episode there where I can go through the quotes and talk about my perspective on them, why they stood out to me. And I think hopefully encourage you to go out and read the book, or at least I read the abridged version, the Signet Classics abridged version. I'm not sure how long it actually is with with all the volumes. The abridged version was, I want to say, 300 or 350 pages, something like that. But it seemed to hit all the quotes I had read before and had heard about. So I think that version at least did a good job. I can't speak to other abridged versions. But I think that's going to be my next episode. I think it'll be something people will be interested in and hopefully can get you to go out and read it. So thank you for listening and I will talk to you again soon.